All right, I've mentioned this a couple of times. Um, um, in uh, this class, uh, full credit again to Jason and his infinite wisdom for picking a book of the Bible that we can, uh, that we can use to, to kind of jump around in a holiday-type uh, quarter. So there's, there's nothing that you missed if you weren't here last Sunday. And I know there's just looking, there's probably like 15% of the so of this class who wasn't here last Sunday because uh, you may have been somewhere else. So if you're not missed anything necessarily, uh, we're going to talk about uh, why I think that's the case and how I've been leading the the class, and I'm going to talk about James 2 and then James chapter uh, 1, a couple of verses. Uh, as has been my custom, I'm trying to introduce the book of James in the section we're talking about with, with the things that I feel like are characteristics that we have to keep in mind throughout. And the first one being, um, amongst all the epistles in the New Testament, uh, often there is a, a story being told, a narrative being crafted with application or there is uh, questions being answered by the writer. In this case, uh, the book of James is full of imperatives. There's a lots of, you should do this, you should not do that uh, kind of statements. Around half of the book is in some sort of that form. Um, so well, there's a lot of, we should do this, a lot of action or inaction uh, type messages. Uh, the structure, at least the way that I um, read through it is is loose. Like it, the some of the sections that are in chapter two don't necessarily connect to other sections of chapter two. So I've been treating it. We've been treating it in this class like the book of Proverbs more than like the book of Galatians. Uh, treating it topically, not uh, chronologically. And then we'll see again today. We'll see in abundance uh, metaphors, illustrations uh, that come up from the time to time. Of teaching and illustrations goes a long way, and I'm hopefully to hopefully I can exercise that a little bit again this morning. Uh, the book of Proverbs does that a lot, teaching and illustrations, and the book of James does uh, as well. The last thing that I would say, again, as a reminder uh, around introduction, is remember where they are. This is a group of Jews uh, who who are Jewish by not uh, by, by by nature by background who have converted to Christianity or are now scattered about. Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, we see some scattering as a result of persecution. So they don't have a Bible in front of them uh, to understand what to do. They don't have an apostle sitting next to them or teaching them uh, all the time as to what to do. So what is the, the code of conduct? How should I be behaving? How should I act uh, as God's people? Uh, this is the point, I feel like, of the book of the book of James. Now, today's class uh, is, is about our active faith. It is a somewhat of a, a uh, summary of some of the specific applications we've made up to this point about how should we treat our money, how should we treat those who don't look like us, who don't make money like us, uh, how uh, we should seek uh, wisdom, how should we deal with stress, uh, there are uh, multiple specific applications. We're going to go a little broader today in, uh, in um, James chapter 2 and, and in James chapter um, 1. This felt like a good summary class. If you haven't been in the class before, this felt like a good one to have um, if you haven't been here uh, in the past. So I'm going to start at the James chapter 2 section because I feel like it's going to take me longer and then we'll go to the James chapter uh, 1 section about active faith. Okay. James chapter 2, 
We'll begin in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothes and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for the body, what, is you, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that the faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says... And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. All right, I'm going to cover a couple of kind of specific kind of commentary type uh, comments in verses 16 and 18, and then talk about what I see as the themes of this section as a whole, and then get your comments. So first, in, in verse 16, um, the, the phrase, go in peace, um, this is a, a, a Jewish idiom. It's, it's a veiled um, prayer to God. It's an Old Testament idiom. This is mentioned in, in multiple places. I've cited a couple of them. Up there, this kind of expression, um, it reflects a, a something that's, that's good to say, that is common to say, but could also be uh, flippant uh, to say, uh, could be shallow uh, to say, uh, I will pray for you, uh, could be a, a similar situation. It's not wrong to say or pray for anybody. I'm not saying we should, please do not leave here thinking that I don't think you should ever use that phrase, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that phrase can be similar to the one that says go in peace. Common, important, potentially shallow, potentially uh, useless when used in an, un, in an insincere manner. This is a common greeting. James's point is you do not use common greetings when talking to somebody who needs help. A common greeting is not helpful. And in this case... In this illustration, this metaphor, the person being greeted needs help. Common greetings are not meant for everyone. Help is meant uh, for some. Secondly, around like specific stuff, and then we'll talk themes. Uh, verse 18, um, just the reason I brought this up is in some versions, um, the quotation marks and the commas are in different places. And this this section can be a little bit challenging sometimes because, you know, the original text doesn't have what we have in our Bible, like commas, quotation marks, and things like that. So it's a little, it's a little ambiguous. Um, is all of verse, ten, or verse 18 a quote? Is you have faith and I have works a quote about someone uh, that, that someone is saying? Uh, this is how I'm, I'm reading it. 
um, if you connect, which I do, verses 18 and 19 and 20, the quote is, the, is to be read, or I'm reading it as the words of, of an objector to James's view. And James is pointing out the folly of objecting to what he's saying. There's a folly in thinking that a profession of faith, you have faith, and I have works, the profession of faith is sufficient uh, for having a saving faith. Um, the hypocrite insists, or, or the, the foolish fellow in verse 20 insists that he is saved because of a profession of belief, because of the things that he says or the things that he believes. It will be equivalent you know, to me saying, I am the president of the United States, or I am an elder of this church. And just because I say certain things, that doesn't make them, it doesn't make them true. Um, that's easy for you to say, but we're, words alone are not uh, proof of anything, especially when it comes to, to faith. So what is the, the sermon outline version? What is the, the main themes of this section? Uh, I've got it down there at the bottom of the screen. Faith alone in Jesus, in the gospel, accomplishes nothing. Actions prove the reality of faith. And faith is perfected uh, through actions. Let's take them. Let's take them one by one, and then I'll open it up to to comments. Jason's got a mic, and I've got a mic. If you if you're visiting and you're not aware of kind of our uh, our logistics here, make sure you uh, ask for a mic so that those who uh, have some hearing assistance or those maybe on the online can can hear you. Verses 14 and 16 again. Faith uh, alone in Jesus uh, accomplishes nothing. Faith that is professed. And is not practiced, uh, has no has no value, has no value. And, and it's and there's an, again an excellent illustration, uh, which would have made a lot of sense to them. We don't see as readily uh, in our day to day lives. In our, we're not walking amongst a marketplace. We're not walking amongst in a city and maybe seeing people without the necessary clothes or seeing people without the necessary daily food. We, we, we put them places, which is a bit of a problem, you could say, in our, in our culture. But in this case, you've got an illustration that is meant to say the person says he has faith, but his talk uh, is cheap. If we don't do certain things, we don't have an action, uh, our faith can be considered worthless to us. Actions prove the reality uh, of faith. Verse uh, uh, the, the second part of my, my summary up there. <clears throat> Genuine faith um, results in a life of good works. Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So, genuine faith has something coupled to it, has something in connection with it. That's good works. Just like uh, I, I, read, I read somebody who who wrote this illustration. I, th I thought it was really, really good. Just like a seed that you plant will necessarily grow into the tree that it is and bear fruit. You plant a tomato seed, it's going to necessarily, because it has life in it, grow into a tree. It's naturally what it's inclined to do. Necessarily doesn't mean automatically. That... That seed has to be watered. It has to be cultivated. It has to be put into the right dirt. It has to be tended to. It has to be, to be cared for. 
its very nature is to produce fruit. That's what its, that seed's function is. It's necessarily going to, but not automatically. Um, think back in uh, Galatians when we, were, when we were talking about uh, Paul. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Naturally, because I am a follower of Jesus, certain things are going to be true. I think that's what James is trying to say. Um, if you are willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, verse 20, that faith without works is useless. Um, there's, na- there's a natural connection that you have to have. And I think that's why the example of the demons that he brings out in verse 19 makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, the demons have an academic truth, uh, an academic belief about uh, God and monotheism, and that's important. The intellectual commitment um, that God is one and that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and Jesus rose from the dead, just that, that intellectual, intellectual commitment you know, that, that Paul is asking us to be committed to in 1 Corinthians 15, for example. If you don't believe that, then there's no point to this. True, fair. But if you're just looking at it academically, uh, that doesn't make us right with God. I think, think of it this way. If justification uh, was reliant on the way that we thought, uh, our theology, how we thought about God, um, that could be equally as, as troubling because who here has a full and complete knowledge and understanding uh, of God? You know, uh, it, it has to be something beyond just what I know about God because that knowledge also is, is incomplete. Um, there has to be, and, and I, I've said this a couple of times, I said it in, in Galatians more than in James, but Christianity, what we're involved in here is a critical thinking uh, religion. It involves the head, how I see the world, how I perceive it, how I logically deduce things about the world. It involves the heart. There is a emotional loyalty, prayer to God, trust in God um, component to this. And there is a hands component. There is a head, there is a heart, and there's a hands component. Remember last week we talked about cleansing your hands. The things that do stuff um, are involved uh, in, in what we're after here too. Um, my last comment here, I'll try to give you enough. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Just kidding. This is not my last, uh, last comment before comments. So um, I was thinking about this, and uh, back when we were talking about Galatians, John and I had an exchange about Mark chapter 2, and it was one of my favorite sections of Jesus' life. In Mark 2, uh, if you recall what happens, Jesus... Uh, is brought in and is teaching in a very crowded room and a paralytic man is set up uh, in a situation before him. And what does he do first for this paralytic man? Good Bible students. He tells him his sins are forgiven, right? And then he, and then he heals him. I think that the logic here is, is, is very similar. By curing this man's problem, Jesus proved that he had the power to forgive sin. By doing something that helped him, power to act, Jesus proved 
that his words were not empty when he said, forgive sins. Now, it's a loose, it's a loose tie of logic, but go with me here for, for, for a second. Um, you can claim that you have faith, but if you have a company with no, with no works, with no deeds to verify um, that you have it, um, then what good are your words? Your words are as good as the demon's words uh, in, you know, in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 6, uh, and in Luke chapter 7. And then the last part, uh, faith is perfected through actions. Here comes my last, uh, my last comments, and then you can open up to, open up to, to, to thoughts. Uh, he offers two examples. First, Abraham, and then Rahab. So there's two, two pieces of Abraham, uh, two pieces of Abraham's life that are talked about. One of them uh, poses a bit of a problem, which we're going to talk about uh, here in a second. But it talks about Genesis 15 and Genesis chapter 22. There's something that, that uh, Abraham does, James's point is. There's something that Abraham does uh, in his life in offering up Isaac uh, upon the altar. And then there's Rahab. Why pick Rahab? You know, you've got... Um, I don't. I, I don't know that he that James had the book of Hebrews that he could reference, but um, you've got uh, examples in his mind that he could have gone through. You could have picked anybody in Hebrews chapter eleven to talk about who had actionable faith. You had Abraham. Sure, you got Abraham. You could have talked about Isaac. You could have talked about Noah. You could have talked about Moses. And he picked Rahab. Why pick Rahab? Uh, I don't know. I'll ask James uh, so, at some point. But this is my suspicion. Let's recall, good Bible students, who Rahab is. Um, almost an anti-Abraham. A non-Jew, a woman, a harlot, a, as morally removed as possible from Abraham um, in Genesis chapter 15 and in Genesis chapter 22. Her faith worked uh, in a different way. Is she being commended for lying? No. She's being commended for having an actionable faith even when it was young. Um, and it was based on what? If you go back and read, if you read here, she, she knew, if you go back and, and read what happened to her in Joshua chapter 2, she did her action by sending it out another way, verse 25, because of what she believed. She had heard about the God of Israel. She had faith in him, and that faith caused her to act. Um, so in summary, I like how James sort of attacks this, this section here. He, he offers first a very easy, forceful illustration uh, right out of the gate. Um, there's no practical value in having a faith if it doesn't involve doing things. Um, he extends that to um, a potential objection um, and finds that, you know, you can't just have a logical argument that says what you believe is what matters. The demons even believe, uh, but they are not, uh, they would not be saved or justified by God. And then he goes, and finally to uh, scriptures that, again, references that they would have known. These are Jewish. This is a Jewish heritage audience turning to Abraham, a father of their faith, and to Rahab, a surprising 
faithful person to try and make a, a kind of a clean sweep. The conclusion, verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, another illustration, so faith without works is dead. Comments uh, from the group. I'm like my brother Leland. I, my mother taught me to write in my Bible too. Unfortunately, I don't get as detailed with preachers and <laughs> dates. Uh, but I have a note here that there are three kinds of faith, as you mentioned. There's dead, demonic, and dynamic faith. The dead faith is the faith that recognizes God. It, it, it's the intellectual understanding. There were many people who followed Jesus for various reasons, having a faith uh, that he was someone who was not normal. But their faith wasn't strong. And he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you to do? Even the demons know that Jesus is deity. Mm -hmm. They know God is. They know what he can do. And that's their intellect. Their emotion is that they fear and tremble because of this. And so there are people walking around today uh, with, with both of those, the faith that they understand Christ, uh, but then they appeal to their emotion and, and their uh, <clears throat> chaos in, in worship service. And then you have a dynamic faith, which Jesus demonstrated in himself, as you, said, you noted. Uh, he gave the person what they needed, forgiveness of sin, healing, food, chastisement. He gave them what they need. This dynamic faith, as you can recognize the the root word of, of dynamite has to be explosive like Jesus. We can't just go to someone who, who is naked and hungry and uh, say, okay, I'm going to pray for you. We should be of the kind that we figure out a way to take care of those things that we can immediately. Mm -hmm. Do those things that we know need to be corrected immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the, it's the idea of taking both emotion and intellect into this working faith that is the faith that was demonstrated in Abraham and Rahab, two polar opposites Right. when you look at that. But it was their obedience to that intellect and that emotion that caused their faith to be considered righteous. That has, has to be our faith. We can't just believe that we're going to heaven uh, just by sitting here in a pew and and uh, coming on Sunday morning or, or coming to a gospel meeting or here and there and we show our our emotions it has to be it has to come out of us it has to be more than simply understanding it has to be a search for more it has to be a, a training of our bodies uh, to react more in our emotions but also in, in our actions. It has to come out based on our faith, and if our faith tells us to wait or uh, choose some other time or choose some other way, then maybe our faith is not as it should be, not even as Rahab's. Yeah, well, well said. Well said. I like the, the concept of dynamic, too, because we're all, you know, in this moment, 
uh, December 24, 2023. We're at different stages in our faith. Bruce's is different than Julie's and it's different than mine and it's different than Ben's. And that's why it has to be, there's a direction that it has to take. You can't take a direction uh, without uh, action. Um, good, good word. I like the word dynamic. Where are you at? Yes, ma'am. Um, I just wanted to say I really appreciate how James um, tackles the tension between faith and actions because I think it can sometimes be easy for us to see them as opposites of one another, whereas they're meant to be two sides of the same coin. Um, what's beautiful, one of the beautiful aspects of, of salvation is that we are renewed inside out, that we become new people. Mm-hmm in the image of Christ. And so these external actions should be the natural consequences of the changes within my heart and mind that happen throughout my walk with Christ. Because I think you can have the opposite problem that then from what we've been discussing this morning, I think the Pharisees are a really good example of that, where they had the external actions down, but their interiors were rotten and empty. And so it was empty actions. It, things looked right, but, but they weren't, you know? And so having both of those intertwined within one another, that my faith is not dead because I am doing the things that are an extension of the new person that I am, but those actions are embedded within the correct motivation, with the, the correct understanding of who I am in Christ, and that makes those yeah. actions all the more effective because of where they're rooted. And so I, I just really mm-hmm. think that James does an excellent job of getting us to see that it's not one or the other. Yeah. It's both, yeah. and both are vital um, for the effective work of the saints. Oh, well said. What's your, can you tell me your name? Uh, Abby. Abby. Everybody needs to hold on to Abby's thoughts for another slide or two. She's ahead of me, no, but uh, really excellent point, Abby. A really excellent point. Yes, sir? I just wanted to remind us that Jesus himself gave this example in the Good Samaritan. He, he showed who was the person that loved his neighbor. It was the person that actually stopped, took the time. It wasn't the other people in that parable who had probably held the correct viewpoint in their mind of how they should help. It was the person who actually spent the time and did it. And then also, right. just as uh, in First John 3, 18, excuse me, three seventeen eighteen says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Yeah, well said. Well said. The Good Samaritan. If you've got the label neighbor, okay, if you've got the label Christian, let's, let's consider... Who um, who can carry that label? Yeah, ex- excellent point. Yes, Miss Diana. I, I wanted to say that, too, we are judged by our works. And Revelation seems to hit that many times. But in, in 22.12, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Yeah. Well said. Well, it's a good summary. All right, I'd like to... No, I don't. I'm going to let David... Uh, David helped me with my songs this morning, so I at least, uh, at least <laughs> owe David a pause. Go ahead, man. I think it's interesting to note that God demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5, 8, 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And not just his death, but his entire life was a demonstration of his love for mankind. Right. And likewise, we must demonstrate our belief or our love for God. And if we cannot or will not demonstrate that, then our faith is useless to us. Yeah, I mean, even Jesus set it up that way. I mean, he would teach with authority, you know, just say words. But he would even say himself, how do you know that what I'm saying is true? But look at the things that I've done. You know, what is John the Baptist here uh, has been done? Yeah, well, well said. All right, let's go, let's go back to the uh, potential problem that Abby brings up. If you remember, in the book of Galatians, I spent a whole lot of time talking about works don't mean anything. Um, and now I'm claiming that, um, that works mean something. So let's make sure we address kind of what Abby, Abby already did this. Uh, so let me just expound on what, uh, what Abby said. Are Paul and James uh, in conflict? There's multiple verses that we could use. I offer a couple here. Um, James 2, verse 14, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If you put that right next to, for by grace you have been saved through faith, it is not your, of yourselves as the gift of God, not as a result of works, though no man should boast. You have a potential problem here that we have to, to reconcile because both of these sentences are in the same, in the same Bible. There's a couple of ways that we could reconcile. First, Paul and James are in conflict because they have different views, and Paul has the right one. Um, is one option. It's a very long uh, quote here, but this is from uh, Martin Luther wrote an introduction to the New Testament, uh, and I've you can go and look this up online. I've, I've taken pieces of it. I feel like I'm respecting his overall point, um, but for the sake of time. I've taken pieces of it about what he says about the book of James. I, this is Martin Luther, consider that it is not the writing of any apostle. This is the book of James. My reasons are as follows. First, flatly against St. James, St. Paul, and all the rest of Scripture, it, des it describes righteousness to works. James does nothing more than drive to the law and its works. He mixes up the two in such disorderly fashion that it seems to me he must not... He must have been some good, pious man who took some sayings of the apostles' disciples, threw them thus on paper. In a word, he wants to guard against those who relied on faith without works and is unequal to the task, and would accomplish by insisting on the law what the apostles accomplished by inciting men to love. St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to the others, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. So this is one way uh, to, to address the conflict between, the, the apparent conflict between James uh, and Paul. I um, felt like it was worth going through this at least, at least briefly because this isn't the only place that this kind of uh, thought is, is ascribed. Um, Martin Luther took a pretty strong stance around uh, what, he was, what he was fighting against at the time. For those of you who are are in tune to history, you know, fighting against uh, the, the nature of the Catholic Church. Uh, and at that time, very heavy Jesus plus works approach uh, to the Christian religion. Um, Jesus was good. Jesus did an amazing job. And Jesus took us to this point, And the Catholic Church or the institution has to carry us 
the rest of the way uh, through our good works towards the church in order to complete the job of salvation. That's what Martin Luther is trying to, to kind of fight against. Those are my summary words. Um, and, and, and when he does that, he goes very much towards Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone. And when he comes across things like he sees in the book of James, he says, okay, James makes some good points, but Paul's points are better. That's how um, James would, or, or um, some would, would attack or some would address this problem. There's obviously some potential trouble here, especially with Paul and James. We see both in the book of Acts and the book of Galatians, um, Paul and James being in fellowship with each other. Uh, so just for the sake of time, that feels to me uh, like an incomplete way of, of concluding here. So what other options do we, do we have? Potentially, they are using the word justification uh, in different ways. Paul is talking about uh, the, the, the initial state of justification, and James is talking about working towards justification up to the point of when you die or when Jesus comes back. Um, again, doesn't feel complete for, for me because James doesn't really talk much in the future tense here. He's talking about things that are active and current uh, in their lives. So for me, the right way to think about this is Paul and James are attacking two different problems that involve our actions. They're using works in a different way. First, Paul is emphasizing the point that there's not a list of works in the old law that you need to complete in order to be reconciled to God. Paul doesn't say, Paul is saying there's not a list of 10 or 20 or 100 things that you need to print out and you complete them. And then once you've completed these things, you come to the church and say, look, I can now put my faith in Jesus because I have been circumcised. I wash my clothes this way. I regulate my body this way. Um, I have uh, honored this day of the week. Now I am ready for my salvation. Paul is fighting against that kind of mentality. We talked about that uh, ad nauseum in the, book of, in the book of Galatians. James says that believing, and again, just kind of emphasize some of the points that I've made already before. James, believing sound doctrine alone is insufficient. Just having the knowledge is incomplete, like Abby mentioned. It is something that completes us from the inside out. Uh, back to Galatians chapter 2, and, and Paul in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. He's making a statement about his current condition. And when he makes that statement about that current condition, it causes him to act. It causes him to, to work in, in, in a certain way. Um, so in my mind, James and Paul are looking at the, word, looking at the idea of works uh, in, in different ways. I'll tie one more time to the, the teachings of Jesus. A couple of you, excellent job uh, talking about the teachings of Jesus. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, it, towards the end of it, kind of the invitation type section, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 uh, and following with a straight, narrow, and the broad, wide gate, there is a statement made, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everyone who has faith or acknowledgement of who I am will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who have had that faith, had that Lord, 
change their lives uh, and doing uh, the works um, accordingly. Those are the ones who will, who will inherit the kingdom of God. So, kind of like we've sort of mentioned around, I'm just going to put a pin in it. Um, there is a tendency to think, if you just look on the surface, that Paul and James are in conflict. And my claim is that they're not. They're, they're going at the problem. Uh, they're going at the, the issue of what we must be doing in different ways. We talked a lot about this in the book of Galatians. Paul is, not, Paul is refuting the false teachers who say, yeah, you want to be a Christian? That's great. Come to me after you've done these 10 things, and then you can become one. James is saying you want to be a Christian and you believe that's good. How do you treat your neighbor? Who do you give your money to? Are you prejudiced to anybody? How do you pray to God? Do you listen when people talk to you? How do you handle stressful situations? How you answer these questions will let me know uh, if your faith is genuine. If I can use Bruce's words, if it is dead if it is dynamic, and I can't remember the third one you said. Demonic, yeah. Okay. Last uh, section. Turn to James chapter uh, 1 for a moment. This section is uh, a, little, a little redundant to the things we've talked about before, but I feel like it's, it's, it's really, really strong. Really strong. James 1 verse 21. Therefore, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry, man. I'm about what James said as opposed to what Paul said. Paul in those passages was talking about works of merit. Right. James was talking about works of faith. There's a difference. Right. Uh, Paul himself in the Roman letter said, uh, do, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience, your slaves are the one to whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death? in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Right. So is Paul contradicting him on his own self in the same book right. and others? No. Right. Paul was talking about works of merit. You, you'll never be saved by works of merit. Right. But you must have works of faith. Yeah, well said. And in particular, like Paul's talking about the works of merit of the old law. You know, these are the things that if you're, if you're not careful... Um, you're going to think that you're justified by them, um, but you're not. Yes, sir. Going with what John said, I believe James and Paul are, are in sync here. Paul is talking about becoming a Christian. We did nothing to take away our sins. There were no works that we could possibly do. Mm -hmm. But now that we have, that is the grace of God that we've been forgiven. Now, James says, in order to remain saved and not fall from grace... We must be careful not to do the works of the flesh, but do the, do the fruit, works of the Spirit and bear that fruit in order to be saved because we can call, fall from that grace that was initially given. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's work uh, quickly at James. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you, Bruce. Let's look at, uh, quickly at these uh, seven verses. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness kind of like Bruce's point, and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Okay, again, just adding some, some emphasis to some of the points we made in James 2, but in a, in a different way. Um, deluding themselves, not, hear, not listening and doing the word, verse 22. People delude themselves, lacking accurate self-awareness or lacking accurate uh, self-knowledge. Jesus has a different phrase uh, for these kinds of people. It's a little more of an aggressive phrase. In Matthew chapter 23, as an example, verses 1 through 3, Jesus calls people like this hypocrites. Um, People who say but don't do. The, The analogy in verses 24 and 25 is an excellent one. It's a little lost on us, I think, because everyone in here has a mirror on them, probably, or a camera that they could use to look at themselves right now. But mirrors, this is a a picture from um, the internet. I forget where where I got this. Uh, this There's a picture of a a mirror that was found in the first, second century AD uh, in the Roman Empire. And it's basically silver, very well polished, very rare, not as common of a device to have as we have Today, you may have looked at yourself in the mirror, you know, a couple of times, maybe once a day, uh, maybe uh, a few times a week. Not something that is that is something that is natural for us. We have reflections and mirrors and cameras all over all over our lives. But again, the application I think is is excellent. Again, get the picture. You've looked in the mirror, and you see something that is off or that is wrong, and you walk away having not fixed that thing. Um, if you read that, you're like, yeah, that's kind of dumb. Uh, why even have the mirror? And James says, yes, exactly. Every time you read the Bible, I mentioned this uh, a while back, every time that a, that a sermon is presented to us, um, this morning, David's going to speak to us and he's going to hold the Bible up as a mirror to us. Um, we should see it that way. How do you look is an incomplete thought. How do I look and what do I need to correct? What do I need to do is the complete thought. What do I need to do personally? You know, verse 25 and verse 26, not having become a forgetful hearer. So listening to the things that Dave is going to present to us this morning, but, but a forgetful hearer. Watching what I say, there's certainly a personal application there. Being self-aware of what is being taught. And then verse 27, I don't want to just walk over this for the sake, because we're running out of time, because I really think this is an important part. Not only that, but how does that reflection 
help you to be aware of what you need to act, how we need to act relative to those who are in need. There are specific people called out, um, orphans, the young who cannot help themselves, the widowed who cannot help themselves. So again, and, and in summary, you call yourself a Christian, you who are writing or listening to the book of James. When you read and when you look at yourself in the mindset of Christianity, what is it causing you to do? What is it causing you to do? Um, Be mindful. Verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Be self-aware. Not just of what you believe, but of how you act. All right. Thank you for your attention. Appreciate it.